This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hey, Fraser, how are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Very snowy here today, so we're all freezing to death, but it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. we, we didn't get any snow in Rome this year. Mm-hmm. Not that we got snow in previous years. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a long time since I've had a snowy day or white Christmas of any kind. Uh, so I, I have to say snow is inconvenient, but it's beautiful to look at, and yeah. I kind of miss I kind of miss the feeling of skipping a school day because it's snowing, <laughs> which I, which I assume you you are now seeing from the opposite end as a you know uh, working in a school you hear from kids who want to skip school because it's it's snowing. Does that ever happen? <laughs> in my school, kids want a day off if the internet goes down. <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> it actually happened one time. I, I, the internet went off and a wee boy came running to my office. Yeah, Mr. Spears, the internet's gone off. Or are we just going to close the school? <laughs> I said, I wish that's <laughs> Amazing. <how> <laughs> but to him, it was like the electricity going off or something. You know, it's like you can't even do school without the internet. So, um, but yeah, we had an exciting morning this morning trying to uh, figure out what route the school bus could go through and what roads were blocked. And I'm actually mm. using Google Maps for that, looking on Google Maps. And as I get into school about seven and as I as the day progresses, you're watching all the roads start to go orange and then red as things go badly wrong on many oh, roads. No. So on the phone, the bus drivers are like, yeah, so turn left here, turn left here kind of thing. Uh, but we, we got the job done today, so we're getting there. Hmm. Hmm. So what, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I thought we would talk today, Federico, about uh, using SSH from iOS devices. Okay. Which is, a, you could argue, a fairly specialized topic. In fact, I don't think you could even argue that it is a fairly specialized topic. But I thought it would be one that uh, people who who know that they use SSH or maybe will will learn about what SSH is today uh, will realize that there are good options on iOS for doing this kind of thing. Yeah, um, I should say that... Um I've probably used the SSH uh, once when I needed to um, to set up the private and the public key stuff that Fraser will explain later. Um, uh, because of course we have uh, we have that kind of access uh, for Mac stories. Uh, but I when Fraser um, said we should talk about SSH, and I was like, I have no idea. Honestly, I have no idea what we're talking about. I know what it is. I have no idea how it works, but. I wanted to do this show because I want to learn how to do this. Because in addition to Mac stories, I also, um, uh, you know, because of the transmit news, uh, I did this uh, iPad Diaries article about FTP access on iPad. And so I decided to sort of revive a server uh, with a personal domain that I had. And I could use SSH for that as well. And so I wanted to learn how this stuff works. And uh, we're going to go, Fraser is going to go over some of the uh, underlying uh, concepts here. And we also have some app recommendations. But basically, I am going to be your listener um, for this show and um, because I also want to learn this is something that I want that I want to learn in 2018 so this should be should be fun because I, I like it when when I learn new things okay so we'll dig into it we'll do a little bit of intro and then we'll tell you about our sponsor so that if you fall asleep halfway through the episode you'll at least have heard about our good friends <laughs> at Sandbox but <laughs> that's brutally honest <laughs> <laughs> okay so well, just as a kind of introduction for people who maybe don't know what SSH is, um, 
SSH stands for Secure Shell SSH, and it's it's a method by which you can, from one computer or somewhere on a network, connect to another computer and get, use the command line, the, the terminal prompt, if you like, uh, to give that to execute programs on that other computer. So, for example, you, and you, you've been able to do this for, on desktops and laptops for years. Terminal is built into macOS and the SSH command is built in as well. So you just would say on a, on a Mac, you would just say SSH and give the name of the computer you want to connect to. And then you would authenticate to that computer in one of a couple of different ways. And then it would be for all intents and purposes that you were actually on that computer, not the one you're physically typing on. And you don't, it's not a screen sharing system, but it is a, a remote login system. So you have a command line access to the other computer and whatever you type in on your iPad, let's say, or the Mac you're working on, those uh, keystrokes would be sent across the network, uh, encrypted in this case, that's what the secure part of Secure Shell is, and those commands would be run on that other computer instead of the one you're on. So this is uh, something that evolved out of an older system called Telnet, which was uh, a system from the very early days of the internet. It provided basically no security, uh, and anybody who could see your internet traffic could read the keystrokes that were going past on Telnet. So Secure Shell is the same exact same kind of idea, but uh, the contents of your messages or your keystrokes are encrypted as they're sent across the network so that uh, people in, in the middle can't read what you're typing in. So, for example, if you had to provide a, a password on the other computer, you could type that in quite safely and people wouldn't be able to intercept those keystrokes. Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t- Telnet, was a, it, Telnet was the kind of thing that was great when everybody who was on the internet knew everybody else personally. You know, there was 10 people in, in America <laughs> who were on the internet. Um, and that was fine because you could phone up people and complain if something went wrong. But at uh, internet scale, it's obviously not, not at all secure. Yeah. Uh, So SSH is the the de facto standard for many, many things. Um, There's even a sort of, um, uh, I think uh, there's a workflow angle to this as well, because you can can actually give uh, commands over SSH through a workflow action as well. I think we haven't really got much in the notes about that, but I just remember that as I was speaking there, that we can even uh, use workflow to send commands remotely over SSH as well to, to remote computers if we need to. Oh, nice. So that, that's the basics, right? It's, it's, it's command line access to computers that you're not physically uh, beside or connected to. And one of the ways that this has become kind of interesting on iOS is because there are a number of really very good SSH clients for iOS that can, you know, you can from your phone connect to a server somewhere in the world that you administer or even your desktop Mac or something like that. And you can, you know, look at the files that are there copy files around, move them, copy them to other places, you know, start servers, stop servers, restart services. You can do all these kind of commands and you can now do them uh, from your phone uh, or your iPad as well as doing it from another kind of computer. Yeah, I know that uh, I've seen people do this. For example, our web developer mm-hmm. um, for Mac stories. Every once in a while, uh, I come across some kind of bug and he's not home, but he has his iPhone. And back in the day, before before developers would make this kind of pro apps for iOS, he would say, oh, I'm not at home right now, so I cannot fix the problem for you. But yeah. over the past uh, three 
I would say three years, three to four years, it started out with Prompt, which is one of the apps that we're going to talk about. Uh, but now, if I come across a problem and if it's uh, like on a train or something, it can log into the server and make changes from the command line uh, from his phone on 3G, on a moving train, which yep. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the development of these Federico kind of comes hand in hand with uh, increasingly fast and reliable uh, remote connections because as you're typing on your phone that keystroke is being sent across the internet to another computer and then you're seeing the output coming back and if you're on a very high latency connection or a very slow connection that becomes it becomes extremely error prone I mean imagine a computer mm. where when you typed in the uh, keystrokes they didn't register on the screen for maybe 10 or 20 seconds after you typed them that's very difficult to get right but as our mobile networks have gotten faster and more reliable this kind of thing is eminently practical to do from anywhere you know from a plane even you can do it now as well moving trains cars even just out and about it's it's become a really viable way of uh, maybe not necessarily doing all your remote administration work but certainly i've used it to to update and reinstall software you know while while traveling just on my phone that's a good point. Uh, basically, it, this would have not been possible on 2G edge connections, I guess. No, no. Mm-hmm. Because it's a round trip as you go, you, you send the keystrokes to the server and then the output comes back to you. So there's kind of like a, a two times round trip to see the output of what right. you're doing. Um, so being on a reasonably fast network is quite important for this. So Federico, that's the basics. Uh, will I tell you about our sponsor now, just in case we uh, have lost any listeners already with the uh, dread excitement of SSH? Will we talk about Sanebox? Yes. <laughs> Sanebox is one of our great sponsors in this show. This episode of Canvas is brought to you by Sanebox. And I bet every person listening to this show has got something you don't like about your email. And that's why you need to try Sanebox. It would be lovely, but it's not practical to just delete all your mail. There's undoubtedly stuff in there that you've got to deal with, but one of the big problems is that all your email looks the same. And at a glance, it's difficult to try and decipher which messages need your attention. Wouldn't it be nice if there were some email could be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox? That's what Sanebox is all about. Sanebox sorts through your email and moves all the trivial stuff to different folders, so only the messages in your inbox are the ones that you need. And the great thing as it will work seamlessly with your current system and with any app. One of the best features of Sanebox is called the black hole. All you need to do is move an unwanted email into that folder and you'll never hear from that sender ever again. With Sanebox, you can also set up email reminders, snooze your email and so much more. And that works even if the app that you have doesn't support those features as well. Federico, you're a big Sanebox user. Do you want to tell listeners a little bit about how it keeps you sane? Yeah, I I can tell you that it it is nice to be able to have your email uh, sorted for you uh, without having to do any kind of manual work. And in fact, just this week, I've been doing my taxes, which is a terrible, terrible process because you you need to go through... (laughs) Yeah, good times, right? You need to go go through uh, months of expenses and PDF documents and talking to your accountant and uploading documents. It's it's just boring, honestly. But... um, because I have a finance uh, folder set up with Sanebox. So this is one of the custom folders that you can set up and you can set up the training over time. So the messages that Sanebox understands, these are receipts or these are invoices. So it puts them into this custom folder for me. Now, instead of having to do a search on the uh, on, on in my email client or instead of having to remember, for example, uh, what I'm looking for, 
I can just go into the folder and I will find all the receipts and the invoices and all the expenses. Uh, so I can just select the attachment and send it out to Trello or Workflow or something. So it is convenient to set up different rules, set up, set up different automations with Sanebox so the messages are uh, sorted for you, are filed for you, and you save a little bit of time when you need to process them later. So yeah, big fan. Well, that sounds a whole lot better than my tax uh, completion process, which is basically me typing Amazon2699 into Gmail and seeing what comes up and trying to work out what that bank statement was all about. <laughs> so you've got a better a better arrangement than me already. So to help you get a little more organization into your inbox, we have worked with Sanebox to get you a great deal. Just go to sanebox.com slash canvas today and you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $20 credit just because you listen to this show. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. Again, that's sanebox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash canvas. And thanks to Sanebox for sponsoring the show. Now, Federico, shall we get into some cryptography? Exciting. Yes. Okay. Honestly, so, I, honestly I'm, I'm, I want to know what, what, what it is, how it works. So yes, okay. let's do it. So I'm I'm going to try I'm going to give you the kind of high school level teaching that I would do about public key cryptography. I am not a security person by training, so I'm going to give you the sort of basics of it, but I am not going to make a specific security recommendation as such. So if you are listening to the show and you want to set up servers, please do your own security research on top of what I'm going to say, just in case. Uh, I don't think our lawyers actually made us say this, but I'm just trying to be a little cautious here in what I say. All right. Um, but in, in basics, in, in the theory, right, uh, One of the, I mentioned earlier that one of the ways that you can authenticate, that is, prove to the remote computer that you are who you say you are, is by giving a username and password. And that's how we've logged into computers since forever. But there are better ways to do this because a password can be, maybe you choose a bad one, maybe it's not very complicated. Passwords can be kind of easy to, to brute force and, and, and they're not the best way of proving your identity to a remote computer. So another way that you can do it with SSH is by the use of what's called public key cryptography. And this is a technique where you basically create two uh, in, encryption components uh, and those components work together and they're called the public key and the private key. And the easiest way to understand this, Federico, is in contrast to what you think of as uh, sort of traditional encryption or symmetric key encryption where uh, we have a key, say you and I share a piece of information and I use that information to encrypt some text and then you would use the same information to decrypt the text. And that's the kind of thing that you see like in, in a child's uh, puzzle book where you have a, a series of symbols and there's a key to the symbols and you have to replace the symbol with a letter and that kind of thing. So say I was to encode it with a kind of childish cipher like that, you would also you would have to have the encrypted message and you'd also have to have the exact same information that I used to encode the message to decode the message again. Now that works as long as you and I can share a key in a secure way. And, and that might involve uh, us actually meeting and handing over the key. But across the internet, that doesn't really scale up because uh, if I have a way to securely share the key with you, why not just use that channel for the message anyway? So uh, it doesn't really scale up to internet scale. But uh, public key encryption, on the other hand, uses a pair of keys. And what I say, as I said before, one is a public key and one is a private key. The public key is not a secret 
and it can be freely posted online. People post their public keys on their webpage, in the signature of their email, all of these kind of things. And even the quote unquote bad guys can have access to your public key with no harm to you. Okay. The private key. Why would you? Why would you post? Sorry. Why would you post the public key? Mm-hmm. Um, on the uh, on the internet, this is something that I never under, understood. I saw people saying my public key is this. Why mm-hmm. would you do that? Well, not so. It's not so important for SSH, but for uh, it, this also applies. This is another way of doing email. So you, you may have heard of uh, an email system called PGP. Yes, pretty good privacy. Well, PGP works on on a uh, public key encryption basis as well. Now, the way the mathematics works is that uh, if you have my public key. Yeah. You can say you could take a, uh, the plain text of your email. You would encrypt that message with my public key. And uh, then you can send that message across, right? So the public key can encrypt, but it huh. cannot decrypt. So if you encrypt something with my public key, you will not be able to decrypt that in the future. Only I oh, will when clever. I have the corresponding private key. It's really clever. So the public key is useful for anybody who wants to send me information. Uh, and then I have to have the private key in order to decrypt that information. Oh, this is actually clever. used. This is used in the same way in SSH as you'll see in a minute. Hmm. But um, so that's what. That's why it's safe to send the public key across the internet right. because it's only used. It's a write-only key. It's only used to encrypt information. It can't be used to decrypt information. Well, all right. Thanks. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the way this is used for SSH is that uh, the server has the server the remote computer you want to access what you do is you put your public key on that computer okay and you keep your private key secret on your computer and then when you try and connect to that machine what happen is the server will encrypt a piece of information using the public key of the client that you have come from okay so it knows your public key it's, it takes some secret piece of information and encrypts it with that pri- uh, that public key and then it sends it down to the client, the iPad that you're connecting from. If the iPad can correctly decrypt that secret, which can only be done with the corresponding private key and send it back to the server, then the server knows that the person who's trying to connect to it has got the private key for the public key that was already there in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Th- this kind of technique is actually also used... Um, slightly differently in Wi-Fi as well. So that's public key cryptography on the basis in its basic form, right? You have a public key and a private key and the public key is shared with everybody and the private key is the bit that you keep a secret to prove, in the case of SSH, to prove that you are who you say you are to a server that knows the public key that you claim to have the private key for. You do a little exchange of information that's encrypted and if you can complete that exchange that's how you prove, without sending the private key, that's how you prove that um, you you are who you say you are, basically. With me so far? Yeah, yeah, I'm following. So cool. there are two keys. One of them you can share. The other needs to stay with you all the time. And yeah. basically, they complete each other. And the private one can decode stuff. The public one can uh, can encrypt stuff uh, and and basically over SSH that's how you you can do I assume some kind of passwordless login so instead of having to yeah. type in your password you just say you configure the public key and the private one beforehand somehow and yeah. then you just connect without having to type in your password but everything is encrypted 
Yeah. So if you bring it back to say an SSH client on your iPhone, what you would do is you would uh, the the good clients can actually generate public and private key pairs on your phone. And what you do is mm-hmm. you generate a pair and then you send to the remote computer. Uh, you get your public key onto that computer. But ideally, from a security point of view, your private key would never leave the device that you've got it on. So you don't want to put put your private key onto Google Drive or something like that or, right. or back it up to iCloud or something like that. You want it just to stay on your device so that um, you minimize the risk of ever, lo- ever losing that piece of information. But you can, you can give away the public key completely freely. So what is the best way to store these keys uh, both on on a local computer and on a server so what what is the the best practice to to because they they need to be somewhere i assume yeah. so how can you store them yeah i mean at the end of the day you've got to trust something right mm. and and if you can't trust your iphone then you've got quite a big problem and uh, you know one of the great features of ios in my view is how secure it is if you think about all of the all the billions of iOS devices out there, we haven't had a large-scale attack against iOS that's been successful over a long period of time. So right. personally, I'm I'm quite comfortable keeping my private keys on my devices. But what I do with my phone and my iPad is I generate a different private key for each device. Okay. So it's not, it's not the same key, but it's the key and the device together, if you see what I mean. So I have these various servers that I manage for our school, and what I do is I've got I've got an iPad public key and I've got an iPhone public key and I put both of those keys onto the server so that if I come from my iPad, that particular private key is used. And when I come from my phone, that particular private key is used so that I'm not even having to sync or share keys between devices. Uh, it's every device gets its own key and that key just stays on that device. And, and that's how it works. All right. Okay. There are, there are various other things you can do. I mentioned generating public keys and private keys on the device, which is, is a nice way to do it. Um, there are different encryption standards for doing that. Yes, um, yes. These I know. I know that there's a... Because I was asking about um, SFTP clients a few days ago on Twitter. And so people, some people asked me, um, make sure to research which ones support um, passwordless logins with private mm-hmm. and public keys and they mentioned some kind of I assume from some googling that I did some kind of recent standard called ED25519 mm-hmm. uh, which is I, I think an alternative to RSA which is the, the, the most yep. popular one so what, what's the difference here? <laughs> well the, the difference is highly technical and probably beyond my understanding oh god um, but <laughs> uh, it's very mathematical right essentially there, there are different techniques for doing the same thing different mathematical okay. techniques for doing the same thing um o- over the history of cryptography uh one one of the major aspects of an encryption standard is um a- apart from like actual flaws in its design which some people can find um who are in- incredibly able and and very mathematically minded can find flaws in in the system one of the g- one of the sort of easier problems is if the key itself the the binary number that is is your key is not very large one of the ways to break your encryption is just to try all possible keys and see which one works. Yeah, just brute force the whole thing. Hmm. Now, in in the early days of cryptography, there were some ciphers that were used which specified some very short keys, which meant that uh, 
there wasn't there weren't that many possible options, right? So um, how can I explain this? If you imagine that your encryption key could just be two bits, okay, which is, is insanely short, right? But in a binary number of two bits length, there are only four possible combinations, right? Both of them are a zero. You've got a zero and a one, a one and a zero, or a one and a one. Yeah. So if your encryption key was one of those four numbers, you could just try all four and, and very quickly you would instantaneously you would have broken the encryption. Mo the more modern encryption standards, uh, we went to, uh, there was some, a cipher called DES. They used a key of 56 bits. Now, a 56-bit binary number in that range, you can have two to the power of 56 possible numbers. Okay, so every number, every combination of ones and zeros in 56 bits. Now that's seven times 10 to the 16 possible different numbers, which is, it sounds like a large number, but for a modern computer, it became e relatively easily brute forcible. Okay. Oh, okay. But with, we moved away from that standard and with the new standards, with uh, the one called AES, which is a commonly used one, um, you can have a 256-bit key, okay? Now, in 256 bits, you're talking about uh, 1.15 times 10 to the 77, right? One, 115 with, what is that, 70, uh, 75 zeros at the end of it? That's a large number of numbers. Uh, and even for a, for a very fast computer, trying all of those, all possible numbers in that range is, is a very, very time-consuming task. And some ciphers use even longer keys as well. You see 1,024, 2,048 bits or so on. So the, one of the ways that we keep encryption secure is to make sure that what we call the key space, which is the range of possible uh, keys that could be used to unlock uh, an encrypted piece of text, is an incredibly large space so that the chances of you correctly guessing that are, are very, very low in any reasonable amount of time. So over time, we've, we've increased the key size as computers have gotten faster. But to my knowledge, which is not incredibly extensive, but as far as I know right now, these RSA keys are they're as secure as we know that they, are, they have been for a while. Nobody's found anything that means it makes a lot of sense to move away from RSA right now as far as I know anyway. And these new standards are just, they're more modern, they perform faster. Um, so they're faster to encrypt and decrypt in some cases as well. So performance is another reason why we have changed ciphers in the past because uh, sometimes we, we find new ones that uh, they just run faster, maybe they run faster or they're better tuned to modern hardware, for example. And in some cases, uh, some encryption ciphers are actually implemented in hardware inside computers as well. So just like you have for encoding and decoding video and MP3 and audio and things, you also have a little bit of hardware that does you know, certain kinds of encryption ciphers uh, right on the hardware as well, which is important when you have devices like iOS where the storage is encrypted, file vault on the Mac, you want that encryption and decryption to run as fast as possible. So that's another reason why sometimes there are different ciphers available. It's not necessarily about security, it might just be about performance as well. So this is complicated stuff, but yeah, it's super fascinating to to listen to and to understand what it means. Even just the sort of when you were explaining the numbers uh, and all how modern computers were able to make old standards obsolete, and so mm -hmm. we we needed to look for new standards and longer keys. That's fascinating because it means to me that. Um, it's sort of a cat and mouse game uh, uh, to an extent 
of yeah, making much. encryption better, uh, but also making computers faster. And you need to keep that in mind that maybe someday even the 256-bit key will be able to be compromised. And so you'll have, you know, that that's interesting to me. Yeah, the, the day that we get quantum computers working correctly, we're in a lot of trouble because <laughs> those kind of computers will rip through these keys and no bother. But then there's quantum encryption as well, so it is very oh, much an God, arms race, really? you know. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't please don't ask me how that works. I don't know. All I know is uh, I have read there is a okay. thing called quantum encryption. So oh, yeah, God. you know, uh, as the computers get faster, you can also use that power to make even harder ciphers as well. So uh, not all is not lost yet so far. Mm. So give me some some examples of how you do SSH, what, what you do with it, and how you access it from, from iOS. Okay, well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the story of my, my kind of origin story with using SSH on iOS, which was um, back in the early days of our iPad program at school. You know, the, the school that I work at, we do a one-to-one iPad program. And my, my job at that time was I was just the computing science teacher. And I wanted to teach programming as I did, but I wanted to move it onto iPad because that's what all the kids had in their hand. And in those days, there was no Swift Playgrounds for iOS or anything like that. And I was teaching Ruby programming, which is still one of my really favorite teaching languages. Uh, so what we did was we set up an, a Linux server. Uh, actually, it was on Amazon EC2. And what we did was we gave all the kids who were doing the programming course, we gave them an account, a command line account on that computer. And they would SSH into that server from their iPad. And we would we taught them how to use, uh, I think it was maybe Pico or, or one of the command line editors. Uh, so they would edit their code in Pico on the iPad, but remotely connected to this Linux machine. And then they would save, save their work, exit the, the editor, and they would run the code on the remote computer. Uh, and they would see how, you know, you're, you're running a full Linux machine, so you just hit Ruby and whatever the file is, uh, run the code and see what happens. Now, that was 2012 we were doing that. Um, so we were really quite er into that quite early on iPad. Uh, we did that in 2012, 2013. Um, and eventually we switched to Pythonista on iPad and now Swift Playgrounds. But... Uh, that was my kind of beginning of doing this in a serious way for actual serious work was um, actually teaching it to kids in school. Hmm. So uh, do you think this is something that, for example, let's say that I'm an iPad user and I know my way around managing a web server and using SSH. And I want to, I want to use some kind of automation that I cannot run on iOS, but also I don't have a Mac and I, I don't want to buy a Mac just to use, you know, the terminal mm. and Apple script and, you know, uh, other types of automation. Should, could I consider maybe having a web server with my own web app that's running on top of Python or Ruby or something and managing that with SSH? Is that something that could be possible? Um, you, you could. I mean, ha having your own web app is, is a, a whole other topic in itself. You know, if you were, if, but if you were building that kind of thing anyway, there's no reason why you couldn't connect to the, that machine from your iPad, uh, mm -hmm. you know, test it, run it, modify it, it you know, work on it from your iPad. Um, there was a, a blogger called Andrew Brookins who uh, wrote up not that long ago a development environment that he built on a remote machine which he was accessing through his iPad Air at the time. Uh, and there are, if you if you search for, you know, um, developing 
remotely on iOS is kind of the phrase that people often use. Uh, you'll find blog posts where people have written up examples of, you know, I had this web development environment and I actually set it all up to run on the Linux server or on a Linux server. Maybe not not a great idea to do it on your production server, but do it on a server um, and then just connect it from your iPad. And that's, uh, that's a perfectly feasible thing to do, particularly in a world, Federico, where, you know, keyboards are becoming a much uh, more commonly used component of an iPad setup. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you've got your smart keyboard, you've got all the keys there that you need. I mean, you've got as many keys there as, uh, you know, traditional computers had back in the day. So um, there's there's really nothing you're missing out on there uh, in terms of connecting to a machine and having full access to all the commands and all the tools that are, are over there for you as well. Right. So how how do you personally uh, use um, AC searching in your, in your life? Yeah, so I don't use it for teaching uh, computer programming anymore. But what I do is we have, I run a couple of Linux servers and one is our device management server. Uh, one is our Wi-Fi controller and I have a Plex server at home which runs on Linux as well. And um, I also have a desktop Mac at school which I can access via SSH as well because Macs have this built in both as a client and a server too. And what I do with that is I, I do things like, um, you know, sometimes our NDM server falls over and it has to get kicked. <laughs> uh, so I can, uh, whether or not I'm at school or at work or traveling or whatever, I can SSH into that machine and just restart the process uh, from my phone. I can do that quite easily. Um, I also do things like uh, if there's a new version of the software, I can, I can log into those machines and I can run the software update programs there. That's another one. Um, or if I have, uh, uh, sometimes I use it for things like doing a batch download of stuff. I'll actually download it to a remote server and then later I'll, I'll get it down to a machine that I want to keep it on. Uh, but maybe I'm in a rush to get it or something or it's a file that I need to, hmm. uh, maybe it's a large, maybe it's a really large zip file. This is one, some, one thing I do sometimes. Uh, say it's a huge zip file. I'll SSH into a, a machine that's well connected to the internet, download the whole zip file there extract it all and then copy the one file that I want to my phone or, or to my iPad just to save the bandwidth of downloading a huge file and then just extracting maybe one or two things from it. Hmm. So, so how all, do, all what, what do you do? What do you do with Plex? Um, so I, I run my Plex server on Linux. So what I'm doing there is I'm basically doing a lot of shuffling around of large video files. Uh, so for example, I'll, if I encode those video files, on a Mac, for example, I'm, I sometimes use my school Mac for doing that. I'll run um, various scripts on there, and then I will connect to my Plex server, and from the Plex server, I'll then SSH to my Mac at school and pull those files back over using um, SCP or some SFTP or something like that. Uh, so mostly it's about file organization on the Plex server. Um, most obviously most Plex stuff happens through the web interface, but in terms of just getting the files in the right place and things like that. And I also have um, some automated backup scripts that will back up all those Plex files to, to a cloud location just to uh, make sure that if the disk goes bad, I've still got all those files there. Hmm. All right. So what would you recommend to someone who has an iPhone or an iPad and they want to get started with SSH, they want to play around with that? Which apps mm -hmm. should they consider? 
Well, there's a couple that people often talk about in, in this area. And the one that I use is Prompt by Panic. I think you already mentioned it today, yes. Federico. Uh, it's, it's the one I've used. And that's actually the one I used back in the day uh, for school and teaching the kids as well. Um, it's It's got all the kind of typical Panic polish that you would expect. Uh, it's got some great features like you can have tabbed sessions. So you might actually be able to connect to, in fact, you can connect to, more than one machine at once and you get tabs across the top just like safari and you can move between them um, in order to you know maybe do a command on one machine that will run for a while and then check its output on another machine or something like that prompt is, is great that way there's another one that i um i don't, haven't used myself but people do recommend a lot alongside prompt is one called issh2 which is another um, ios ssh client now these are, are what you might call traditional SSH clients. And what they do is, is they basically take the idea of um, an iOS app that when you select a menu item being one of the servers that you connect to, it then drops you into the, the command line interface on that other computer. But to all intents and purposes, these are iOS apps. And then you just start up that session. But there's another one that you, in fact, pointed me to earlier, Federico, which is called um, Blink which is a slightly okay. different kind of client. So I had, a, I had a dig into what this one does, and it, it's not immediately obvious from, from their page what it, what it does, but the, what they do is they have this system called Mosh, which is a kind of, Mosh is, is short for mobile shell. Now, we mentioned earlier that one of the things about SSH is that you've got to be connected to the internet. And of course, as we know with mobile, that doesn't always follow you around as perfectly as you would like it to do. So Mosh is designed to kind of smooth out that road. And what it does is it, it kind of keeps your connection alive. And if you change IP address or you drop and reconnect, Mosh will cope with that and it will not cut you off and make you start again, uh, which is what SSH would do. So if your connection to the server drops and you're in the middle of a command or something, you'll be logged out of the server and your command will get stopped halfway through, which may or may not be a good thing, particularly if you are, for example, doing a software update halfway through. So Mosh is designed to kind of cope with that sort of thing. Uh, but what you have to have is you have to have Mosh on the server side as well as on the client. So it depends on whether or not you've got control of the server to install that software there, whether or not you could use this. But there is a client called Blink for iOS that can do this. And it supports both Mosh and traditional SSH as well. It's a little different from other iOS clients. It's not quite so iOS-y. You, you kind of are dropped into a command line prompt and then you type mosh my server and it'll, it'll start a mosh session or an, an SSH sessions, whatever. You're sort of giving commands to the app and then the app starts to give commands to the other computer as well. So it's a little different, but if you're looking for a mosh client in iOS, there is an option for that as well. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I think I saw Blink uh, mentioned uh, a couple of times over... Mm -hmm. over the past few months and um, I didn't know that it was like based on a different type of technology uh, if I understand this correctly it's not uh, like SSH it's something else completely yeah my understanding is that whereas I said the SSH sends your keystrokes and then sends a return back from the remote server my understanding is that Morse does a bit more of a kind of state synchronization thing I, I don't want to say any more than that about it because I don't completely understand it myself but it seems to cope with the idea that you get disconnected and you get reconnected and then you sort of reconcile what you see on your device with what's on the server and it, it ties up again and you can continue with what you were doing before but it doesn't sort of log you out in the same way that SSH would do. 
Um, is there, uh, what are the features that, um, whether you're a developer and you want to create an SSH client or you're someone who's browsing the App Store and you're looking for one, what are the features that are, in your opinion, Fraser, uh, absolute must-haves in this kind of app? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're on, you're on the go and you're, particularly if you're working off a phone, you want to look for a couple of things. And one, of course, is the ability to save connections so you don't have to type in the, the DNS name or the IP address of your server every time and your password and so on. Um, so having saved connections is really, really important. Um, support for public key authentication is really important as well because you want your passwords to be good and long and you don't want to have to type them in frequently on your device. So being able to um, generate a key pair right on the device and export the public key and then use that to start your connections is, is a really, really useful thing to have. Uh, and probably also, and many of these kind of apps do this sort of thing, having Touch ID or Face ID support just to open the app is quite a good thing. Because if you've got your public key stored in there and you know somebody were to get access to your device when it was unlocked, you would want them to not be able to then connect to four or five other computers that you have control of as well. Because the point of using public key authentication is you don't have to give a password every time you've got the public key and the private key. So you want to make sure that the app's nice and secure. So turning mm -hmm. on Touch ID support in the app is a really nice thing to have as well. A couple of other things, um, 3D touch support from the from the home screen is really nice okay. if you want to get quick connections to machines. And then finally, a lot of these apps will also do things like a customizable keyboard bar above the keyboard because some of the kind of common characters you use in Unix, like the forward slash and things, they're not immediately available on the iOS keyboard, particularly on the phone. So you want, you can, I know in, in uh, prompt, for example, you can have, there's four sort of customizable keys above the keyboard and you can put like forward slash and dash and whatever uh, commands or whatever keys strokes are common to your Unix workflow. Uh, you can do that on, and have them right out on the keyboard as well, which is, is very, very useful because it can get quite tedious on a, on a small device if you're trying to bounce between the keyboards and then find all the, all the characters you're trying to find all right you didn't think i could talk for 40 minutes about encryption in ssh did you well we did it and i we did it you know i it was not as um as difficult honestly as i i was uh thinking it would be uh sort of being able to understand and to follow around i don't think cool. i have i don't think i have a need for ssh i don't wanna i mean we I could log into my MacStory server. Um, I think I understand how the private and public key stuff works, but I, I don't want to ever touch that. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the commands. Uh, but I think, it's, uh, I think it's pretty awesome that, you know, there's, mul in fact, not just one option, but multiple options on iOS at this point. So that's yeah, it's uh, a reasonably um, mature category, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to to see that even that kind of niche has multiple uh, alternatives that you can find on the App Store. So uh, this was a uh, against my expectation. This was a uh, fun and informative. So thank you, Fraser. This was really good. Yeah, you're welcome. It's kind of show where you know there are people who know that they use SSH, um, and for those people, I kind of wanted to. Make it possible. Make it possible to realize that you can. You know, this is one yeah. of the original ideas of our show was to uh, make people aware that you can actually do these things in iOS, and this is something that um, 
seems like a really high-end nerd thing to do. Maybe not so much to the people who do it, but certainly to the, the general the general computer user. This seems incredibly nerdy. And just to show that, yep, there's nerdy stuff in iOS too. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, Federico, we'll leave it there for this week. This has been Canvas episode 52, I think. Is that right? 52? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, 52. So you can find the show notes for this episode at relay.fm slash canvas slash 52 this has been SSH from iOS Uh, we will be back with you next week you can connect with us on the show we are underscore canvas FM on Twitter I'm Fraser Spears Federico is Vitici and we'll be back with you next show